Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Hello, welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer. Hello, Nathan. How are you? Stupendous. Stupendous. Yeah. Great. (laughs) We have very special guests today. Uh, We are talking about adult adoption and the importance of that. Many people think about adoption as little children Mm -hmm. or maybe teens, but we don't often think about adults choosing to be adopted and how that's important. So. Mm What is your perspective on adult adoption, Jen? Um, well, I have to be honest. I'm one of those people who never really gave it a whole lot of thought until I started working in the adoption field. Um, I know that it was created um, primarily to um, have a formal relationship that can take care of things like inheritance if the parent were to pass away. Um, also, I know that before same-sex marriage was um, was approved here in the United States that it was sometimes used so that same-sex partners could um, allow benefits from a deceased partner to to go to the living partner. Um, So those are all very dry reasons why adult adoption exists. However, every adult adoptee that I've spoken with never gives those reasons as the reasons why they're adopted. So I'm really excited for us today to speak to some individuals who were adopted as adults and um, get to hear their stories as well as why they decided to participate. Cool. And with that said, we have two of my sisters here today, Monique and Victoria. Hello. Hello. And both of you are going to talk about your adult adoption experiences. So, Victoria, we'll have you start first. Can you just tell us about who you are and what your experiences were? Uh, My name is Victoria Armstrong. I came into care around four years old um, with my, at the time, three brothers, two brothers. Um, I went to live with a foster home, Lori and Randy Ross. Um, I lived there until I was about, um, rights were terminated at eight. What brought me into care was neglect, um, unstable housing, you name it, (laughs) drug use. Um, we lived there and we had a couple of stints where we went home for an 18 month stint, but then we came back into care and Lori got us back, um, me and my brother Nick. Then at about eight years old, rights were at the point of termination. Um, we had a last visit when I was eight. At nine, they decided that because I had severe behavioral issues, being one of the oldest in the sibling group, that the social worker that came onto the case when it changed to adoption thought that I would be better off in a home with fewer children. Um, Lori and Randy had many. So they thought I'd be better off in a home with one to two or no siblings. Um, that's when I was shipped to... Um, the McAllisters, 
Um, they adopted me at nine. I ended up getting in trouble at school um, from bullying. I was trying to protect the kid and ended up um, taking a weapon to school and was placed back in residential care. And from there, in residential care, they kind of forgot about me. Um, then from residential care, I began to have more behavior issues and more self-harm. Um, and then probably the final straw with that was a Christmas visit, a Christmas pass that when we went home, I was sexually abused by a adopted family member. Um, and my adopted family basically disowned me for that because it was the bio family to them. And I told the truth. Um, so at 12 years old, I was still in care and I was adopted at the, by them at nine. At 12 years old, I was still in care. Um, I was in and out of the juvenile system, running away, um, basically just acting out any way I could to get attention. Um, at 12 years old, I ended up um, running away and running back to the Ross's house because that's the only home that I knew. Didn't know how I was going to get there, but I was going <laughs> to get there one way or the other. I was not going to stay in residential anymore. Um, so that continued to happen. I really never got there. I just got on the run. Um, so they took me back to residential care at residential care, at, um, 14. Um, Lori found out that I was back in residential care and that my, dis uh, my adoption was not terminated yet, but disrupted. So she started having home visits with me, um, at the age of 14 I was still very resentment towards her and mm -hmm. towards Randy because I thought that they gave me away. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the story back then. Mm -hmm. And so I was acting out more and more self-harming um, and just basically pushing them away. Um, I actually made false allegations that they hurt me on a visit. Um, and so Call Valley terminated visitation with them and would not allow them to see me anymore so at that time i got into more juvenile trouble by stealing a call valley van um causing felony damage to private property on the facility um ending back up in a detention home by that detention home i came to the clarity that everybody had gave up on me Nobody wanted me anymore, so my therapist at the time suggested that, what do you want to let go? And I kind of said my adoptive family um, that I was in, they kind of just left me here. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a letter to the judge stating that they did not trust me, they did not consider me as their daughter, um, they did not believe me when I got hurt, um, sexual abuse. And they have not showed any interest in me for two years. So at that time, I was getting sentenced to a correction facility for my actions. And um, also at that time, um, they had came and um, the judge had stated to my adopted parents at that time that they basically had gave up on me. And my adoption at that time became disruptive and um, terminated. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I spent many years in in and out of jail, in and out of correctional facility. Um, at that time, I still had contact with Lori. I mean, she wasn't a parent to me at that time because that's not what I needed. I just needed somebody to love and support me. Um, at 18, I got out of corrections at 18. I was shipped to Oklahoma to basically get away from this area that I was continued getting in trouble with. And so they, um, at 18, they shipped me to Oklahoma. Um, that did not work out. I got in trouble out there. Um, the street life, as I put it in <laughs> nice terms. Um, and so Lori bought me a bus pass and figured out that the missing piece was my biological parents. So I came back to Kansas City to meet my biological parents and found out I had two new little brothers. Um, I met them, and it was still disruptive in the home. Mm -hmm. It was just that I knew what was going on now. Um, So I ended up back out on the streets, um, ran away from there, ended up back out on the streets. Um, Within this time, I had numerous pregnancies. Um, I got pregnant with my daughter, Nevaeh, who's deceased at um, 19, and I was living the street life then. Um, She became, um, um, passed away after 37 minutes of living. Um, Then I got pregnant with my daughter, Madison, my pride and joy, at (laughs) 20. And um, that was my rock bottom. I knew I could break the cycle at that time, and I knew that I had to do something. Um, I ended up in drug court. Um, I ended up graduating from drug court within the year and a half. I ended up um, graduating from a treatment facility within the year and a half. Um, I ended up getting married to my husband, Michael Armstrong, (coughs) and... um, having another daughter who I asked to not graduate drug court until I had her, but Commissioner Merrigan and um, the guardian lighting and all that felt that I was doing just fine. So they graduated me for then. I just wanted to be able to prove that she was drug free. Mm-hmm. Um, so they graduated me and then I had um, Maya and then I and then at twenty um at twenty six I became um at twenty six I found out that my sister Natalie um got sick and I was still talking to Lori and Randy um and I found out my sister was sick and I went to be with my family and um at that time after after Natalie passed away um Lori came to me and asked me did I want to be adopted um by her and I said well haven't I always been your daughter and she said yes but do you want to legally have the Ross's last name and I I asked her to clarify it with the older ones okay um and so I want to hear more about this as we continue hearing about the stories of adult adoptions when we return on fostering hope
Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking with Victoria about her adult adoption experience, and we'll also be talking with Monique about her experience. Victoria, before break, you were going through what led you to being in foster care, what foster care was like, talked about an adoption that was disrupted, and before break, right before break, you were talking about a new adoption experience. So can you continue um, with that story for us? Um, at 26, I was asked to be officially adopted as a Ross by Lori, who I have always considered, um, my mother. Um, and she adopted me at 26. Um, she became my mother alongside my godmom, Dinette Sims, who took us in, um, when Madison was born off the streets um and basically mothered me taught me how to be a mother um she kind of became a lifesaver for me Mm -hmm. um when i hit rock bottom she helped me learn how to be a mother because she was talking to me about um adopting madison out and i was not for that at the time Mm -hmm. truthfully at the time i was not old enough to really realize what i was getting into but at that time, I just wanted to be a mom. I mm-hmm. just wanted to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. And so Dinette said, well, let's do this. I'll help you. I'll teach you. And she taught me how to be a mom. And she taught me how to um, be myself, also be a woman, and take care of myself and live in society, a productive life. Mm-hmm. Um and I think well, I thank her for that. And like I said, at 26, I got adopted by Lori and Randy, and um, they became my parents. Huh. So basically, what happened is Dinette and Lori shared the role as my mom with my bio mom, and changed the um, basically what was done was the wrong was done right, and the circle was completed. That's what. Um, adult adoption that's why i got adopted as an adult okay okay cool thank you so much for telling us your story i know that that takes a lot Mm -hmm. Uh, we really appreciate it so monique (laughs) turning to you can you tell us about your experiences and what led you to being adopted as an adult sure well um i came into care i was about either 13 or 14. Um, I actually came into care right after I had had a segment of times of running away. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this the last time I actually came into care, um, I had, was, me and my brothers were being abused very badly, and me always being the one that wants to, you know, get out of the situation, I end up taking pictures mm-hmm. of bruises mm-hmm. and different stuff like that. So I took it to school and I showed my principal and he was like, okay, yeah, we got to fix this now. So they end up placing me with my cousin, my bio cousin. And, um, I stayed with them for probably about a good three to four months, whatever. And the DFS system was not, really communication, um, having good communication like they should have, mm-hmm. and they didn't tell us that we had a court date coming up. So I ended up going into 
actual care. Well, I am. Um, they end up sending me to Salvation Army, which was a holding for young children or whatever mm-hmm. at the time. And I end up going there for about a month or so. And they were having people come in to, I guess, see who they wanted or whatever like that to, you know, people that or foster parents want to come in and, you know, take a look at people and see, okay, maybe this would be a good fit for you. This mm-hmm. family would be a good fit for you. So I remember when my first foster dad came in and I was just like, okay, I've always wanted a dad. So, mm-hmm. you know, my birth dad wasn't really there. So I was just like, okay, this looks like it'll work out good. So I ended up staying with him and, you know, still going to school, still, you know, trying to figure out life and thinking that I was in a good place. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting sexually assaulted. He actually started asking me questions about my sexuality and different things like that. And I was kind of afraid to ask, you know, answer them. And then um, he started to sexually assault me. And after um, probably a month's time, I started acting out. I tried to burn down his house. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually tried to kill him in his sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of other stuff, like, it was to the point to where me being in his house and stuff like that, like, all the stuff that was going on, I even missed my eighth grade graduation. Like, mm. I didn't even get to go because, you know, I didn't want people to see me like that. Like, mm. tore up, so I tried to commit suicide. Um, actually, at an FST meeting because we were still trying, they were still trying to figure out placement back with my birth family, my mm. mom and my dad or whatever. And um, I actually tried to commit suicide. So I end up going to a mental facility. Um, I was there for maybe a month or so until they were like, okay, well, we can't get in contact with your birth mom. You know, nobody's responding, so we're going to put you in a place called Gillis. Now, everyone knows Gillis is an all-boys home, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just trying to see the best way to say this. Um, Gillis is an all-boys home, and I was there for probably two, a year and a half or something like that. It was actually a good place, but it was also very sometimes very traumatizing seeing people get restrained and people like really physically acting out and being around a whole bunch of guys like that, mm-hmm. like young boys like that. And I was just like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Like, when am I going to get picked up? When am I going home? Mm-hmm. So, actually, that is where I met our sister Liz. She was my specialist, and she actually took me in like I was actually her sibling. Like, she would go to lunch, and she would be like, oh, I'm taking, at the time, I'm taking Christian with me. And, um... We would go and we would have long talks. Not, you know, I felt like um, I actually felt like I had somebody I could talk to and be open and honest with. Anytime she went to lunch or something, she was like always there. She would always come over and make sure I was taken care of and stuff like that. So, but I didn't stay. I stayed at Gillis for um, 
not that long, um, I end up actually leaving there and going to another foster home. And that foster home didn't work out. I got sexually assaulted there by my foster mom's son and her foster son. And it was just not good. And then I had got taken out, got placed in another facility that went back to Gillis. And at that time, I felt like I was lost because I had nobody there. So, And I hate to cut off in such a powerful moment. We have to go to break. But when we return, Monique, if you could finish talking to us about your experience and what led you to being adopted as adults. So when we return, we will hear more from Victoria and Monique on their experiences on Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Jen. Hi. We are talking with Monique and Victoria today about their adult adoption experiences. And before break, Monique was telling us about how she came into care, what that looked like, how she met our sister Liz and had a great experience with her. And so I'm very interested to hear about what that was like. <laughs> so if you could walk us through um, the rest of your foster care journey and what led to you being adopted. Yes. Um, so when I got back to Gillis, um, I felt like I was lost. I felt like I didn't have anyone because at that time she had got pregnant and ended up leaving Gillis. Okay. And um, I kind of felt alone. But I was just like, you know what, I just need to get through this. I'm ready to move on. Because I seen that there was no cutting it with my birth family or nothing like that. Like, they tried with my aunt, my bio aunt, and, like, she just stopped. She came in, we started having visits, and she stopped. So I was like, Mm -hmm. you know what, I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. So I I ended up going to Ozanam, which is a... mixed place mm-hmm. of girls and boys and it was a better experience um it was uh different but a better experience um and then i was there for about a year maybe a year and a half whatever um i ended up having get, getting a parent aide who was very loving like her family was basically my family was always hanging out or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I experienced a lot of good times with her and stuff like that. So after that, that's when I had met my mentor, uh, Rick Williams, who actually uh, was t- came and met me at Ozanam and was telling me about their program that they had started up called Ozanam Pathways. Mm-hmm. And I actually went, um, went to find out what this program was about. So I ended up going. Okay. And um, just seeing what it was like, testing it out, and then I actually loved it, so I ended up staying. Um, we start out in a transition house, and then from there we go into our own apartment. And I was just like, okay, this is cool. I could 
I could dig it. I could mm-hmm. get it on here. Mm-hmm. So, um, I stayed there for a minute, but still at the same time, I still felt out of place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of these placements I was at, I was trying to, you know, get a better feel of them, but I still was just like, you know what? I feel out of place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one day my caseworker came to me. One of the many I've ever had um, <laughs> came to me and was like, uh, we are doing a, um, I guess it was a conference mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they was like, do you want to speak? And I'm like, you know what? Sure. It was a <laughs> older youth conference or whatever. We're, you know, encouraging adoptive parents and foster parents and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I think I have a story. Let me tell it. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, when I went in and I walked in and I saw Liz, I was just like, oh, my God. And I was like, Nathan, I saw you. Were you there, too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God. See, at the time, I didn't know Nathan, but I knew yeah. Liz. And I was just like, my heart just was like so filled with joy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. So we actually were sitting there and we were talking, you know, having a good discussion. And um, afterwards. Well, in the segment, I talked about how I didn't have a family and I wanted to be adopted. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had the chance to be adopted. And it was just like a, everybody just looked at me like, really? You want mm-hmm. to be adopted? Like, but, uh, that's, that's what I wanted. I feel like I wanted a family. So afterwards, <laughs> mom, Lori Ross, <laughs> she came, um, to me and was like, I want you to come over for Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm just like, okay. That so, sounds just like her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so I'm like, right. um, okay, sure. <laughs> and she was like, we'll discuss some more things later on. And I'm just like, okay. So I ended up coming over to dinner and I seen all these thousands of kids. <laughs> and I was just like, um, okay, are these all yours? <laughs> <laughs> But um, when I got when when I came, everyone was so nice to me. Everyone was very like open and like they loved me with open arms, and it was just like it was a wonderful thing. And at the time, it was just like, oh my god, I want this, but I didn't know how to take it all in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was like a, this is what I want, but okay, how am I gonna get around the fact that all this other stuff happened to me? Like, mm-hmm. is it going to happen to me here? Mm-hmm. Is this experience going to be the same? Like, I just didn't want to be placed somewhere and being taken back or right. left out again. Mm-hmm. Right. So I actually was with them for a while, and my uh and Lori tried to go ahead and try to go ahead with the adoption process, but my birth mom, being stubborn, as she is, didn't want to give up her rights. Mm. And she said she wasn't going to give up her rights. So I stayed with the family. Even longer, I tried to grow, you know, stronger. But then I felt like everything was at a dead end. So I started pushing everyone away. Mm-hmm. You know, I started acting out. I had my own apartment then. So I was just like, you know what? You guys can't tell me what to do. You know, all this stuff. And I was just like, I still felt like I was missing something. Mm -hmm. So actually when I graduated high school, after I graduated high school and when I turned 20 is when I actually got adopted. And when I tell you it was the most amazing day of my life, Mm -hmm. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was in February. I think it was the 6th or the 8th. I don't remember the day. (laughs) It was amazing. Mm -hmm. Like 
I felt like I was a part of something now. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I think this is final. But still, at the same time, I was just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, because I was dealing with self-esteem issues, I was mm-hmm. dealing with, at the time, being gay. Mm-hmm. And then, at the, you know, trying to be open and stuff like that. And now, it's just like, when I seen that everybody still accepted me for who mm-hmm. I was, I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never had somebody not, you know, bash me for saying, oh, mm-hmm. this is going to happen to you or this is going to happen to mm-hmm. you. I was able to, you know, live my life and be a part of something great. Mm-hmm. And then that gave me the courage to transition. So there you go. now my family even loves me more. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I'm very grateful. I'm very happy that I found a family that actually can, will stick by my side even if I mess up, even if I'm, you know, a big headache or I'm too needy or something like that. They still stick by me mm-hmm. and yeah, love me. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your story with us as well, Monique. I know that that, again, is difficult. Um, you both did such amazing jobs. One question that I have for both of you, you both at one point in time talked about birth-family connections. How have you navigated birth-family connections with being adopted as a as an adult? Well... I actually try, I'm actually in connections with one of my, <coughs> I call her my favorite cousin because she was always there for me. Mm-hmm. Even when I was younger, she was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, through the system, she really couldn't be there because she couldn't see me go through that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I still, she, we're, we're like peas in a pie now. Mm-hmm. Like, she mm-hmm. understands, you know, you're my family, but I also have my other family who I really love. Mm-hmm. So, that's cool. And coming from a very, my bio, bio family is kind of a prejudiced family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as you could say, but she's more open mm-hmm. to who I am and where I'm, you know, where I've been and stuff like that. Now, mm-hmm. my birth mother, mm-hmm. um, we were on good terms. We were actually on and off good terms, but lately I have not been really on good terms with her because of the fact that she she doesn't, like, treat she she says she loves me and she says she does this and that, but it doesn't, I don't feel it. Mm-hmm. It's not there anymore. Like it, at first I was just like, I need my mother's love. You know, I want her to tell me that she loves me. I want her to tell me this or that. But it's just like, I don't feel it. I, when she says she loves me, I just say, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Or I love you too. But I just, I can tell that it's not there. She's even told my birth cousin that you know if i were to ever get in trouble or anything i couldn't come back and stay with her she wouldn't allow mm-hmm. it so mm-hmm. what about you victoria yeah. um bio family i still have contact with um my brothers my older brother and then i have a brother in georgia and a brother here still here um that was taken away with me at the same time um we still communicate my brothers i really communicate with almost on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of estranged from my youngest brother who didn't understand what was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has a lot of resentment, but he still talks to me. Um, I have two little brothers who are now, well, one's 18 and one's almost adult, who was still with my bio parents, and I still communicate with them and do stuff with them. Um, I am very close to my bio cousins on each side. Um, that bond kind of never left when I was in foster care. Mm-hmm. 
Um, my cousins on my dad's side actually danced with my daughters at the same dance studio. Oh. And oh, we wow, still do awesome. birthday parties and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's kind of like one big family. I yeah. keep my boundaries with them mm-hmm. and my not my guard up, but I keep aware of the situation. Mm-hmm. But I, um, they accept, they are thankful and accept the people who have helped me along the way. Um, like I said, blood isn't always water. Uh, or sorry. <laughs> Blood isn't always family, um, and Dinette Sims is a big part of my life as a mother figure, too. Um, so she and um, Lori and my bio mom share that role, so that's kind of like the bio part of it. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. That is awesome. You both have shared such great stories, and I know we have to go to break, but when we return, I just kind of want to know, what does this look like for you in the future? What recommendations do you have for the those listening so as we wrap up on fostering hope i want to hear more about your guys's life journey and what you plan for ongoing Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking with my sisters, Victoria and Monique, today about their adult adoption experiences and what that's looked like. So as we close out, I just have a couple of questions that uh, I would hope that you all would be willing to answer. My first one is, if you could go back and talk to one person and have them change one thing or tell them to change one thing, who would that person be and what would that thing be? Well, the one person I would talk to, I should have many people I would talk to. Yeah. <laughs> it would, it would, it would have to be a chain reaction kind of a thing. But I guess the one person I would talk to is Liz because she was really close to me. She mm-hmm. was, like I said, she was like a big sister back then. Mm-hmm. So I would have told her like, "Hey, you're already my sister, so." Mm-hmm. I consider you my sister, so you should like totally adopt me, yeah. or have your mom adopt me, or help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I would, mm-hmm. I would have tried to get a, I would have tried to, I don't know how to say it. Um, like how try to, I would have tried to get connected mm-hmm. to someone sooner than mm-hmm. later. I would so you would want everything to stay the same, but just happen a lot sooner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a cool answer. Yeah. That's awesome. What about well, you, Victoria? Yeah. Um, I would go back and talk to that social worker when I was nine that decided that she knew what was best for me after mm-hmm. I had lived in a home since I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, I would ask her to listen to my opinion and not just go off the facts of a book. Mm-hmm. and what they thought was best. I think in life that they need to listen to the kids more mm-hmm. and their opinions. Um, and I'm sorry, just to refresh, are you talking about when she assumed that you needed to be in a family, a smaller family? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she instead did not of with the know Rosses. what was best for me at the time. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, can I go ahead and answer the other question? Oh, sure. Yeah. So my, my other question um, is, what does family look like for you today? So you but want to start with that? On the flip side, mm-hmm. with 
the events with me moving out, um, it also, with the trauma that happened to me, um, got me to where I'm at today and to where I'm able to be um, a better mom and a better person. Um, I am actually a foster, well, was a foster parent. Now I'm an adoptive parent <laughs> of four beautiful little little ones. Um, and I'm happily married off almost eight years. Um, Congratulations. And what family I am in a church that I love very much. Um, and my godmom is the pastor there at the river. Um, so I would like to go back and change that day, but also on the flip side, that day being changed has got me to where I'm able to help children today mm-hmm. as a foster parent, because from my experience is why my oldest foster child who had very many behavior problems, I'm able to handle and understand him and be able to do, be his voice. Mm-hmm. That's very, wow. very cool perspective. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the hard things working in this field it sucks what brought me into care it sucks what brings kids into care but when they come back and they work in the field or they advocate mm-hmm. it's also very cool to have that platform that voice mm-hmm. you can really see through the behaviors mm-hmm. and understand what's at the root of them and i think that makes it a little bit easier to help the child through that process yeah absolutely so monique what does family look like for you today well family for me today I mean, of course, my family I have now, my mm-hmm. wonderful, huge family, I love them. Um, I mean, I have my, I have church friends, you know, we consider ourselves family. And I have, um, I actually have a, um, what we call in my, in the LGBT community, a gay son who I really love. Today is actually his birthday. Aww. So, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I kind of pick, and choose around me who I want to be close to, who I get close to. Yeah. And when I get close to them and I learn to trust them and they learn to trust me, we, I kind of consider them family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I'm a member of the LGBTQ community myself and a foster parent, and I always talk to people about how those two things oh, yeah. are so related to yeah. me because I'm used to the idea of making your own family yeah. and family not necessarily being blood yeah. in both of those communities. So it's feels like a really safe place for me. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So do either of you have any words of wisdom or advice you would give for anyone listening about adult adoptions or your experiences in general? Um, I would say it's never too late. It's ne- um, Don't give up hope. Um, a lot of times we give up hope and we think that, you know, there's no one there to actually care for you and there's nobody there that will actually, you know, be there for you and someone you could talk to, but there is. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but you can make your, even if you feel that way, you can make your own family. Family is what's around you. Family is not, as my sister said, it's not always blood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Family is whatever you make it. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Victoria? Um, I would say, um, yes, we've been through trauma, but um, you're a survivor. Mm-hmm. And um, like Monique said, family is not always blood. Um, we have the Rosses, but we also have our support system around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you're never too old to have a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love adult adoption. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's really cool how you both talked about taking that step and asking and accepting adoption as adults. I think that that's a very brave thing to do. People mm-hmm. growing up in traditional families with traditional setbacks would have a very hard mm-hmm. time asking for something as vulnerable as for someone to call you theirs mm-hmm. in such a official form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that speaks volumes to who both of you are and all the work that you're doing. So um, I think it also highlights for me, I know that I work with um, recruiting adoptive resources. And a lot of times we get teenagers who say that they don't want to be adopted or if they don't explicitly ask to be adopted, then mm-hmm. their workers assume they don't want to be adopted mm-hmm. and what I hear is that we should be having more open and honest conversations with our children. Yeah, that's yeah. not fair. Yes. And, like that's not fair. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and learning what they really want and who they really want to be with and where they feel safe and where they feel loved, um, even if that looks a little different, even if there are a lot of kids in the house or right. you know, it's a grandparent's home, whatever that is, we just need to be more open and honest with our kiddos. And asking them, what does family look like? Mm-hmm. If, I mean, I think that that's... Both of you spoke to that, Monique and Victoria, that family, even not even just the Rosses, it's the people that you go to church with and that your children go to dance with and that you hang out with. Those people could be potential adoptive resources mm-hmm. if we took the time to mm-hmm. listen. It's, it's also people that you can, I mean, I like what you said, people that you work with or yeah. stuff like that because, like, even with me being a youth ambassador for HRC, like, you know, we're we're fighting for rights, but we're also we also, you know, we consider ourselves family people that are there don't really have that. So. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I want to thank you both for being here today and for sharing your stories. You've been listening to Fostering Hope, brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways. Please visit us at fosteradopt.org or follow Foster Adopt Connect on Facebook or Twitter. Again, Monique, Victoria, thank you much for sharing your stories and your brave successes and triumphs. And we just look forward to seeing all the other things you do. 